The whole of Kokomo is grieving. Justice for Re. Now we fight. Because of her race and age and the situation, no one seems to care. I heard what sounded like a struggle or a fight. I heard someone gasping or whimpering. I believe I saw a person covered up and lying on the floor. All of these are quotes and or statements that are attributed to the investigation and murder of Karina McClurkin in Kokomo, Indiana. My daughter asked me to do this case. She went to school with Karina right after we moved up to Indiana from down south. It's one of those cases that really stuck with her. And as I started to research the case, it began to really stick with me also. At such a young age, still a teenager, Karina was battling some very adult and very grown-up demons. At a crossroads, Karina has to decide the direction that she wants to take her life in. Karina was battling with addiction and was getting things in order to head to a rehab in Florida and take back control of her life. Now enter in Flint Vincent Farmer. He was Karina's enabler, alleged drug dealer, and it really seemed like he preyed on Karina's addiction to get things from her. He is also allegedly her murderer. Hello and welcome to the TCC podcast. I am LB and this is the True Crime Chronicles. If this is your first time finding me, welcome. If you have been here before, welcome back. I am so happy that you're here. Be sure to follow me so you never miss an episode. Like, comment, share, leave a rating, all the categories. It's quick and it's free and it would help me out a lot. And it would help me to get the stories of the missing out to more people. It would provide a greater reach and spread more awareness. So that would be greatly appreciated. Be prepared to be frustrated with this case because there are a lot of things that don't make sense and there is a lot of information that's missing. The main source of information comes from a probable cause affidavit that is almost entirely redacted out. So I will do my best to provide the most accurate information as possible, but it was difficult because the media really didn't cover this case that much. And the information that is released, it's kind of in pieces. So you sort of have to put the puzzle together. Also, if you hear my stomach growling throughout this, sorry, just ignore it and kind of keep moving. This is the case of Karina McClurkin. Karina Cheyenne Day McClurkin was born in Kokomo, Indiana on September 26, 1998 to Father James McClurkin and Mother Marlena Smith. From what I could find, she had two siblings, LaBrittany Smith and Ja'Cory Smith. They were listed in her obituary as her siblings, and it was just those two. Now, Kokomo, Indiana is a smaller town, about an hour or so north of Indianapolis. It has a population of just under 60,000 at 59,681. Kokomo is also cited as the city of firsts, and they have it everywhere in their town on all the signs. So they're very proud of that. It was named as the city of firsts due to industrial and technological innovations, as well as some in the food industry as well. Now, a few notable firsts that are associated with Kokomo. In 1894, Elwood Haynes had the first successful run of a horseless carriage, a.k.a. a car. He drove a car. The first McDonald's McDiner was opened in Kokomo in the 1950s sometime. The first mechanical corn picker was created by John Powell in 1920. In 1912, the first set of stainless steel tableware that wouldn't tarnish was created. In 1938, the first push-button car radio. 
Now, in 1918, the howitzer shell and the aerial bomb with fins was produced by Superior Machine Tool Company and Liberty Pressed Metal Company, respectively. And that's just a few things. There were a lot associated with vehicles and with steel. Kokomo is also known for its high drug use. Now, I spent the majority of my life in South Florida, but I've been in Indianapolis the last, I don't know, probably six or seven years. Now, my father's from Kokomo, and he has spent most of his life in Kokomo and has done a lot of forensic work for their police department. My sisters also now live in Kokomo after relocating after college. So I've spent quite a bit of time in Kokomo, and unfortunately, I have lost several people to drugs there. Meth is pretty bad there currently. Heroin and Xanax used to be pretty prevalent about eight to 10 years ago. And unfortunately, this will come into play later in the story. Karina was raised in Kokomo, predominantly living with her father for most of her life. Her mother was involved, though, pretty actively in her life. She was also very close with her paternal grandmother, Jerry. So she did seem to have pretty solid family relationships, which so often doesn't end up being the case in stories like this. Karina was described as being kind, considerate, a great person to be around. Friends would describe her as a real friend, the type to have your back no matter what. And as most teenagers do, Karina had a stubborn streak. And she definitely wasn't afraid to speak her mind and did not hesitate to put someone in their place. She wasn't really athletic. She didn't play sports. Karina did attend Kokomo High School. Now, this is the only high school in Kokomo. There are several county schools that are located in Howard County. But as far as inside city limits, KHS is it. That's where you're going to go if you live in Kokomo. Now, high school was really the fork in the road for Karina, really a deciding factor on what path she went down. After starting high school, Karina's behavior really took a turn. Her grades began to slip and she really began to slack on her schoolwork. But a big difference was Karina's peer group. She had begun to hang out with a much older crowd of friends. Karina was introduced to smoking and drinking, which she pretty quickly picked up. And at 17 years old, Karina had found herself with a pretty intense drug habit. And I don't mean she smoked weed every day, which at 17, that's not good either. But I mean, harder drugs. And I don't know 100% like for certain, but I am pretty fairly certain that heroin was involved in addition to Xanax being a pretty major factor as well. Now, Karina's father, James, he didn't know what to do with his daughter at this point. He had tried everything he knew to help her, and it just wasn't working. He was kind of at a loss. So he sends Karina to live with her mother, thinking a change of scenery might be good for his daughter. But that didn't work either. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Her behavior only got worse. By the time Karina's 18th birthday came around, September 26th of 2016, Karina was tired. She was still in the full throes of addiction and was ready for a change. And Grandma Jerry was in full support. She reminded Karina that she had her whole life ahead of her. There were other bigger things that she could do with her life and staying on this path was not going to get her there. Karina still needed to get her GED and she felt that she wasn't living up to her potential. She knew she could do so much more with her life. So she began to search for rehab options, and she had found one down in Florida that she was interested in. 
And honestly, that might have been the best thing for her. Far enough away from her person, places, and things, but would she have enough support for her there? Unfortunately, before she got the chance to even try, Karina McClurkin disappeared. October 11th, 2016. Karina tells her grandmother, Jerry McClurkin, that she was planning to go to a party that night. Now, Karina tells Jerry that she was meeting up with a man that they would be going to the party together. Now, Jerry, being the concerned grandmother, she asks Karina if she wants to come and stay with her. Did she need help from her? Is there anything that she could do? And Karina holds on to her grandmother's hand and she assures her that I'll be all right, Mama. I'll be all right. Now, these are the last words that Jerry ever heard from her granddaughter and the last time she even saw her alive. Now, Karina does attend the party later that night and witnesses do put her at the party. They also put her with an older man later on in the evening. 51-year-old Flint Vincent Farmer. Now, October 12th comes and no one's able to get a hold of Karina. Her father, mother, grandmother, her friends, they all try to get in touch with her, but no luck. In fact, it's not just they're unable to reach her. Her phone is going straight to voicemail. All day and night on the 12th and early into the morning of the 13th, they keep getting the same result. It's straight to voicemail. No one can get a hold of her. Now, October 13th, Karina's family says, okay, enough is enough. Something is going on. And Marlena Smith, Karina's mother, she goes down to the Kokomo Police Department and she files her daughter as a missing person. Now, Marlena tells police that she last saw and spoke to her daughter on October 11th. In fact, that's the last time anyone has seen or spoken to Karina. Now, immediately, the family prints and puts up missing person posters. Now, I remember seeing these around town. They were everywhere. I had just moved into Indiana, and I was staying in Kokomo with my dad while I found a place in Indianapolis. And, I mean, these posters were everywhere. But it really was not on the news very much. Like, I did not know much about this story until I saw it on social media. Like, it was not reported on. The family informs the police that Karina was at a party the night of the 11th and was planning on meeting up with a man at this party. Now, people at the party say yes, Karina was there, but she did leave later that evening. And around 10 p.m. on October 11th, that is actually confirmed because Karina is seen on surveillance camera at a village pantry, which is connected to a BP gas station at Markland and Washington. I've actually been to that village pantry many times. So what was shown on the surveillance videos? Was Karina on there? And if she was, who was she with? So enter in Flint Vincent Farmer, the man that she was meeting at the party that night and was also supposedly his partner in a Xanax selling entrepreneurial type of enterprise. They were seen together at the village pantry and they were also on surveillance together where they stayed about 30 minutes before they eventually ended up leaving. Now, multiple people placed Karina and Flint together that evening and not just at the gas station. About a week after Karina was reported missing, an unidentified man came forward and told law enforcement that Karina and Flint were at his house that evening together, where they spent a short amount of time before leaving. And according to this man, they were going back to Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment together, the both of them, him and Karina. But it wasn't just this man who saw them together. On October 14th, Marlena, Karina's mother, 
She tells police that Karina may be in danger and possibly with Flint Vincent Farmer at his apartment at 1039 South Washington Street, which is actually pretty close to that village pantry. Now, another person that was interviewed by law enforcement, they tell the police that they personally took Karina to Flint Vincent Farmer's house on the night of October 11th, 2016. She tells police that she drove Karina to Farmer's apartment and she waited in the alley while Karina went to the front of the apartment. After about 15 minutes, Karina returns, kind of gives her like a thumbs up sign, indicating that it was okay for her to leave, that she was fine. Now, the plan, according to this person, was for Karina to stay the night at Flint Vincent Farmer's residence. Now, most of the information that I have comes from a probable cause affidavit, which is incredibly heavily redacted. So no names are included. No places are included. I'm talking full paragraphs are fully redacted. Now, I did see in several articles, though, that it was a loved one that dropped Karina off at Farmer's apartment that night. October 17th, Marlena Smith reaches out to Sergeant John Webster at approximately 9.45 p.m. and gives him the information that she received on a phone call. So she received a phone call from someone and the name was redacted. This is going to be a pretty consistent part of this episode. Pretty much everything's redacted. But she said that this person told her that that night, Flint Vincent Farmer, he passes out. And she's referencing that night being October 11th. And when he does, Karina goes into Farmer's safe and steals about $600 out of it. Marlena advises Sergeant Webster that she recorded this phone call. And she advised the other party that they were being recorded. So the other party was also aware that this phone call was being recorded. So everybody knew about the recording. October 19th, 2016, Sergeant Webster meets with a male subject, not the name is redacted, in order to obtain a statement from him. Now, in this statement, he advises Sergeant Webster that he, and it looks like maybe two to three other people, again, these are all redacted, they were all hanging out at someone's residence between the times of 5 p.m. and 2 a.m. He states that Karina, the missing girl, was also there. He described Karina as a biracial female wearing black shoes, dark or possibly black colored jeans with holes, possibly wearing a muscle shirt. I don't know if he means like a wife beater or if just like a like a tight shirt. She had on a hoodie and her hair was pulled back. Now, this person said that she came to the residence about 8 p.m. Sergeant Webster shows this man a photo of Karina and he confirmed that this was the female who was there and who he had seen the night of October 11th, 2016. Now, due to the very heavy redaction of the probable cause affidavit, it's kind of hard to follow the exact events of the night. But just kind of from what I could piece together, it looks like they left the apartment that was just being referenced, and Karina and Farmer went to his apartment. From there, they went to someone else's apartment. And I'm going to say that I think it's the connecting apartment to Flint Vincent Farmer's residence. So it would be his neighbor. And Karina leaves this residence shortly after she arrives there. So the person that's giving this interview, 
They say that food was ordered from Jim's Pizza on Home Avenue, which, by the way, is such a banging place, too. I love Jim's on Home Avenue, and I hate that they're even associated with this case, but fantastic. Anyhow, so Flint Vincent Farmer, he orders about $60 worth of food. So he got four Stromboli's and a Supreme Pizza around 10 p.m. He further states that Karina had returned to this residence, but I don't know if that was before or after the food was ordered and received. But after Karina returned, this person says that they overhear her tell Flint Vincent Farmer that she was afraid and she wanted to stay with him, him being Farmer. And the interviewee said that Farmer agreed to let her stay with him that night and that they both eventually returned to Farmer's apartment. Now, Farmer's apartment is located on the south side of the first floor. Now, this person reported leaving this apartment around 2 a.m. And before this person leaves, he and someone else were sitting on the couch in the apartment. He was sitting against an interior, interior wall. Oh, I always have trouble saying that. Interior wall. And that was a shared wall with Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. He said that he heard sounds that he thought resembled people wrestling coming from Farmer's apartment. He said that he told a redacted person to go check on the girl and the girl in this case, meaning Karina, because he thought something had happened to her. Now, I don't know if that person checked on Karina or went next door. It doesn't really say that specifically, or if it does, it's completely redacted out. It jumps to next that a redacted person told him that Farmer was crushing Zannibars. It adds that another redacted person provided the same information to him, except that she added she heard what she described as a female voice moaning, like she was being harmed or hurt. She added that the sound was coming from Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. Now, this this pisses me off. This absolutely infuriates me. These adult people, multiple, okay, multiple people, it looks like possibly four people were all over there with a 51-year-old man and an 18-year-old girl. They knew drugs were involved, right? This is already a weird and somewhat super inappropriate situation. Shortly after they leave, you hear what sounds like people fighting and wrestling. Also, someone hears a woman moaning like she's injured. You hear all of this coming from this man's apartment. You're concerned enough that you want people to go check on her or two people do go check on her. But no one calls the police to help her? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, man. Yeah, it, shit like that really bothers me. I understand. Keep it to yourself. You don't want to get involved in other people's business. Whatever, whatever. But are you fucking kidding me? This is an 18-year-old child. Ah, it's, it is infuriating. Now, later that day, Sergeant Webster goes to 1039 South Washington to speak with two people who are redacted out. As Sergeant Webster is there speaking to these people, Flint Vincent Farmer walks out of his apartment. Now, Sergeant Webster speaks to him and Farmer denies to Sergeant Webster that Karina was ever in his apartment. He also denied ordering pizza that night, which is a very odd thing to deny especially since Sergeant Webster had already confirmed with Jim's that an order was made and delivered that night. That's a weird thing to lie about, in my opinion. I don't know. Denying she was in the apartment that night, that makes sense. Denying you ordered food, that's weird. 
unless he was just trying to dis- distance himself from everything that night, I, d- I don't know. But after speaking with Farmer, Sergeant Webster then contacts another redacted name. This person stated that they did not remember Karina coming into or inside the apartment, but stated that he did see her at the side of the house near a garage. They do have an atta- or unattached garage, I think, out back. Now, this person did admit to getting pizza that night from Jim's Pizza. Sergeant Webster also reviewed the phone records for Karina McClurkin. Her phone records show that the last phone conversation between Karina and Farmer, it occurred on October 11th, 2016, 10.14 p.m. Sometime between October 19th and November 1st, law enforcement spoke with another witness. Now, I don't know who it is because it's redacted out and I don't even know the date that they spoke with her. But in the probable cause affidavit, it says that this person told law enforcement that she sold some peach-colored Xanax pills to Flint Vincent Farmer in the early evening hours of either October 10th or October 11th. Now, the peach Xanax, I believe, are the 0.5s. so like a half a milligram. Because the one milligram ones are blue. The two milligram are white or yellow. I think the yellow is the extended release. And the 0.25 milligrams are the white ones. I don't know that that's even relevant, but I think that they were the 0.5 Xanax pills. Now, this person stated that Karina was with Flint Vincent Farmer during this drug transaction. So this drug deal occurred in the parking lot of the Village Pantry that was located at Marklin Washington Street, the same one that they were at on surveillance the night of October 11th. So this person said that someone who has been redacted had known Flint Vincent Farmer since the summer of 2016. And that redacted person has known Karina McClurkin, her mother and her grandmother for quite some time. Now, this person reported that Redacted sold too many of her pills to Flint Vincent Farmer and Redacted eventually called him back during the early morning hours to buy back some of the Xanax that Redacted had sold to him. Now, this person advised that Flint Vincent Farmer, he agreed to sell him back to Redacted and that person drove to his apartment located at the Washington Street address. 1039. So this person reported that redacted knocked on the front door of his apartment. Karina McClurkin came to the front door. She was very irate and asked her, what do you fucking want? So redacted told Karina that she was there to buy back some of redacted's Xanax. Now, according to someone, Farmer stated that he was sorry but he didn't have any Xanax to sell back. So this person told Sergeant Webster that Flint Vincent Farmer was standing behind Karina during this conversation. Now, this person advised that Karina McClurkin's hair, it was pulled back and that she was wearing shorts. This person also advised that Karina McClurkin was very upset at this time. I don't know if she was already upset when this person came over or if the fact that they wanted the Xanax back upset her and it pissed her off. I'm not sure if it's said in here, it's completely redacted and I can't see any of it. Now, on November 1st, 2016, Detective Mike Banouche interviews 
It looks like there is maybe two people redacted here. Just a fact, um, Detective Banoush retired in the last couple days after 34 years with the Kokomo Police Department. Didn't really have anything to do with this case, just kind of a fact, I guess. So in the probable cause affidavit, redacted, advised that they met on Tuesday, October 11th, 2016, between the hours of 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. So redacted. Again, I believe that there's two people being redacted here but I'm, I'm not for certain, but redacted, met with Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina McClurkin at the Village Pantry located on the Washington Street and Markland Avenue intersection. This person stated that redacted and redacted sold Flint Vincent Farmer some Xanax. Now, this person states that Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina McClurkin redacted and redacted they said that Flint Vincent Farmer went into the village pantry to use the ATM because he needed to get money to pay them. Redacted also advised that the ATM didn't work at the village pantry. So Farmer walked to the speedway across the street and used that ATM. Now, Redacted stated that Flint Vincent Farmer then returns to the village pantry and pays Redacted for the Xanax. Now, this person also stated that he put gas in something that's redacted. I don't know if it's a person's car or just the type of car that the gas went into and then went into the store with Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina McClurkin. This person watched Farmer purchase a large amount of food, which totaled approximately $50. So redacted stated that Flint Vincent Farmer purchased sandwiches, frozen pizza, drinks, and candy. Now redacted and redacted provided these statements independent of one another's presence. So two people were giving those statements and they were in separate rooms when they gave them. So that's kind of crazy. So, okay, so on October 11th, between 10.30 and 11 p.m., he buys $50 worth of food at the Village Pantry. And then a couple hours later, he buys $60 worth of food from Jim's Pizza. That is a lot of fucking food. Detective Banoush reviews the cameras at the Village Pantry. The timestamp on the camera was off by 14 hours. Another detective, Detective Cat, was also present while they viewed and obtained copies of the video. Now, this surveillance video confirmed what both Redacted and Redacted had stated, that Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina McClurkin were at the Village Pantry at approximately 10 p.m. October 11th, 2016. During this time, Flint Vincent Farmer is observed going across the street towards the Speedway gas station. He returns and Farmer, Karina, and Redacted enter into the store. Now, Flint Vincent Farmer, he makes a purchase of what appears to be several sandwiches and other food items. They all three leave the store at approximately 10.32 p.m. Now, Detective Cat obtained copies of this video. Detective Banoush also confirmed by the Speedway gas station video that Flint Vincent Farmer did enter the store and he did use the ATM. So copies of the video surveillance are being maintained by Kokomo Police Department under, and then the officer or department is redacted. Now skip ahead to February 15th of 2017. Sergeant Webster and Captain Banoush have another opportunity to speak to redacted at the police department. They ask this person again, if redacted remembered Karina being over at her residence on October 11th of 2016. 
Redacted advised that Redacted remembered seeing her only once at her apartment. Redacted was asked if Redacted remembered going into the kitchen area with Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina McClurkin to take some drugs. Redacted denied that happened, but this person advised this time that Redacted saw a person covered up and lying on Flint Vincent Farmer's floor during the early morning hours of October 12th, 2016. At some point in the first few days of the investigation, the police went to Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment and he did allow them to come in and search around. Now, obviously, Karina wasn't there and they didn't see any signs or anything out of place or that would have flagged their attention. Now, I believe that this search occurred on 1019 when Sergeant Webster was at 1039 South Washington, also speaking with the neighbors. So you would think that after hearing all of this information, police would zero in on Farmer, right? Well, not quite. Okay, so what else do they need? A blatant recorded confession? Well, funny you should say that. In July 2018, yes, 2018, and we will get as to why this drug out so long, but hear me out on this part first. So in July, law enforcement begins to pull Flint Vincent Farmer's jail call recordings from November of 2016. So one month after Karina was reported missing. Now, why it took so long to pull these records, I don't know. But man, I mean, these records are revealing. These phone calls are unbelievable. And it it kills me with people in jail phone calls. It's like they don't know they're being fucking recorded. Sir, you've been to jail enough times. You know you're being fucking recorded. Anyone who's watched a TV show, you know, about crime, like a law and order type of thing, they know they're being recorded. This is just the dumbest shit ever, unless people don't think that it's ever going to come back on them, that they're not on the radar, that the police won't figure it out. I don't know. But in my opinion, to talk the way he did, just super reckless, over a recorded jail phone call, One month after he allegedly killed someone, you're a fucking idiot, sir. A complete idiot. Now, Farmer was in jail on a drug charge at the Howard County Jail. Now, while he was enjoying his county stay, this is when he opted to take advantage of his phone privileges and called several people. Now, the information or the, I guess, transcription of these phone calls are also in the probable cause affidavit, and they are also very heavily redacted. So I will do my best. It's very hard because so much information is missing. Now, at some point during his jail stay, and all of this is redacted, there's about two paragraphs or three paragraphs redacted above this. But Flint Vincent Farmer calls a young lady and they are talking on the phone. And this young lady says that Flint Vincent Farmer told her to keep her fucking mouth shut about what she saw. Now, Farmer also told Redacted that they're not going to find a body. And Redacted did say that it was late at night at this point. Redacted again said that Flint Vincent Farmer told her to keep her mouth shut or she will end up with her, referring like she was going to end up with Karina. And she asked Flint Vincent Farmer what he meant by that. And everything else is redacted out. So I don't know what he meant by that, but I think we can all pretty much guess. Now, on November 18th, 2016, Flint Farmer, he makes several phone calls while he's incarcerated at the Howard County Jail. Three of these calls were made to, and it looks like it might be maybe two people redacted out or maybe someone's first and last name. 
So Vincent, Flint Vincent Farmer and this person or people, they're talking on the phone. So during the calls, Flint Vincent Farmer advises this person or people. Yeah, and I guess they, um, I think they found the body of that girl, but they're really trying to get me for everything. He refers to it being on the news and tells him to watch the news and see what they are saying. He also tells Redacted, you need to get a hold of Redacted and brace yourself, okay? It's getting ready to get real ugly. Flint Vincent Farmer then calls someone else who's Redacted and asks her to check up on someone else who's Redacted. He tells Redacted to have him stay away from the apartment because they, yeah, because they found that girl and they're going to try to do something crazy. I know they are. They're going to try to hang hang me up. So I don't want him 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 involved. Now, I don't know who him is. It's Maybe it's like a son or like a relative, but it's obviously someone who is semi-important to him because he doesn't want him involved in any way and he wants him away from the apartment. So I do kind of find that a little bit interesting. Now, still on November 18th of 2016, Flint and Vincent Farmer calls his, and then it's redacted. I don't know if it's like father, mother, something. I don't know, but he calls his something. They have a lengthy conversation. And during the conversation, redacted tells Flint and Vincent Farmer when he asked where redacted was. Um, I'm assuming at the apartment, that was bogus what was going on. Redacted called me, um... Redacted called uh, Detective Haas that's on the case, and they haven't, they have not found her. Now, Flint Vincent Farmer replies, oh, they haven't? Redacted then states, no, because what uh, Redacted was irate over everything that was going on. Redacted was tired, and he called up there to find out, and Redacted was upset that you were being harassed, and Redacted said that the detective said, Redacted cannot control that, but they have not found her. They are really trying hard to do so, but they've not found her. And that's what they told him. Flint Vincent Farmer replies, really? Redacted then states, so you keep your chin up and you hold your hold your ground. Because all they're trying to do is break you. And you're stronger than that. They're trying to get you to think stuff that's not true. So prior to ending the lengthy conversation, Redacted Tells Flint Vincent Farmer, yeah, stick to your guns because it's all crap. That's what it all is. This Detective Haas told Redacted that because he called up there and he raised Kane over it. He said he can't. And Detective Haas said he can't control the other guys, other detectives on what they're doing, but it's wrong. So you should stick to your guns. Keep your mouth shut. Those people are all they're doing is saying shit. Excuse me, Lord, to get to cut a deal to get out of jail. That's all they're doing. Reading that probable cause affidavit with so many redactions and just blanks, it's kind of brain scrambling a little bit. I tried to do my best to make it make sense. I hope it kind of carried through. I hope you could kind of get the general picture of what it was saying. And again, these calls were pulled in July of 2018, but it would still take four more years before an arrest was made. So... What happened in those four years? And why was Flint Vincent Farmer still out when it seemed that they had most of this information available to them one month after her disappearance? Now, even though they didn't check these calls until July of 2018, they were available to police in November of 2016. 
and Farmer was on law enforcement's radar at that point. At least he should have been. So over the next three years, law enforcement's version of how the case was handled and how Karina's family saw the case being handled are two very opposite versions. Now, according to police, they followed up on every lead, they interviewed witnesses, and they continued to comb through any additional evidence related to Karina's case. So KPD says that this was never a cold case. The family, on the other hand, calls absolute bullshit on that statement. Karina's family say the police were not putting in the effort or not doing as much as they could. And this, they said that this was due to several factors. One, Karina being biracial. They definitely felt that race was a factor. Comparing Karina's case and coverage to Abby and Libby's case in February of 2017, which is, of course, the Delphi murder case. Now, these are two totally separate cities and counties. So I don't know if you can really compare those two. But as far as referencing the media, yeah, there was clearly more coverage for the Delphi girls. I don't even think that's a question. And Karina's lifestyle and addiction. So Karina's family feels that once information about her addiction and lifestyle came out, they stopped taking Karina's case seriously and just sort of brushed it off. And the family got tired of waiting and nothing happening. So they contacted the media to help get Karina's name and story out there. The media, in turn, contacted law enforcement for answers. Now, law enforcement tells the media that they had questioned several people and served several search warrants, but nothing new had been learned. Now, law enforcement said new tips were coming in, but nothing panned out, and the tips were mostly just rumors. Now, law enforcement also said that the family had been updated on all the searches, that the case is open and active, and investigators have searched several areas with cadaver dogs as of recently when this article came out. Now, weeks became months and months, years, with no answers and no closure for the family. And no Karina. So the family puts up posters and they conduct their own searches. Grandma Jerry says she has walked over 500 miles searching any and everywhere possible. Jerry and Karina's father, James, searched every day for two years straight. Family and friends walked the streets with signs on the anniversary of her disappearance. In a 2020 interview, James said that he still gets random tips. And when he does, he will immediately grab his shovel and begin searching. James has used his $75,000 401k as a reward fund. And Grandma Jerry continues to organize searches on Facebook. Now, Jerry documents their searches for Karina on Facebook, and theirs being hers and James. Their searches show them going into sewers, walking miles into the woods, and cracking holes in icy lakes just to see if Karina's body bobs up in the water. Now, they have launched social media campaigns, including starting the hashtag Bring Karina Home. Now, I can't imagine being a family member and, and doing this. That's just, that is heartbreaking to me. And I couldn't imagine doing that and then finding her. Could you imagine if you were the one to find your loved one's body? I couldn't. Oh, man. No, I don't know how that would go, but I don't know that I could deal with that. And Jerry would hear horrific stories. She heard that Karina had been killed and buried in a tarp in a wooded area or that Karina had been thrown into a waterway to hide the crime. And those are the tamest stories that she had been told. Jerry stated that the things you hear just make you sick. And because of everything she has heard, 
She doesn't believe that her granddaughter is alive anymore, and she's kind of thought that for quite some time. Now, in July of 2017, a body was found floating in the Kankakee River that initially seemed to match Karina's description. DNA determined that it was not Karina, and Karina's family say that they found out on the news. And that's just another example of the breakdown in communication between their family and law enforcement. Now, in June of 2018, by now, this is almost a two-year-old cold case, although the police say it wasn't, but they also say at the same time that they weren't learning anything new and no new tips were coming in. So I don't know. But at this point, a reward of $50,000 is announced. So needless to say, this brings in a ton of tips, but nothing of significance. Mainly, it's people just kind of shooting their shot at trying to get the reward money. Except for one tip. And this tip came from an inmate by the name of Renee Murphy. And she's 49 years old. Now, she said that she had information about Karina's whereabouts. She said she spoke with someone who had firsthand knowledge that Karina was murdered by her drug dealer. Renee said that this person told her what happened and some of the details. Now, according to other inmates also, Karina stole drugs from him. Him, I guess, being the drug dealer, I guess that the insinuation is that this is Flint Vincent Farmer. So she stole drugs from him and him, he, paid another person to give Karina a hot shot of dope at the Garden Inn. Now, the Garden Inn was a hotel known for not-so-legal activities, and it is now closed down. She said that Karina was then wrapped in a car cover and thrown in a pond. Now, police say they are aware of this tip and that they fully checked out this pond or body of water. But the neighbors around this body of water, they say that's not exactly the case. They say that, yes, the police did come out to the pond or body of water, but that they never searched anywhere. They didn't search around the area and they definitely didn't search in the water. Now, one of the neighbors said the police told him that a young girl possibly overdosed and could be buried out here somewhere, but they never checked. Now, could you imagine being the person who lived out there and then being told by police a young missing girl could potentially be buried out by or on your property and then the police just leave? I don't know. I feel like that would freak me out a little bit. I don't know. Unfortunately, though, the $50,000 reward didn't do much as far as useful tips. Now, another rumor that was floated around is that Flynn Vincent Farmer was actually a police informant. Now, is that why the surveillance video at the gas station was never publicly released? Because Farmer would be recognized? And I do think that's a really good point about the surveillance video never being shown on any type of media. Typically, when people are missing, if they have surveillance and it was like one of their last known places to be, that video is normally put out everywhere. Hey, she was with this person. Do you know this person? What do you know about them? What do you know about her? But this video was never released. The video of Flint Vincent Farmer going into the Speedway gas station, none of that was released. So I don't know. And it sounds like it was very clear to police that it was Farmer. Would it have been that clear to the public as well? I think it's very possible that he was very identifiable on that video. Now, police knew within 24 hours of Karina being reported missing that Flint Vincent Farmer was involved. They also heard him on recorded jail phone calls referencing Karina's body. 
Not referencing Karina as a person, but referencing her body. He knew she was dead. This was a month after she went missing. So is him being an informant the reason that years into this investigation, police were essentially looking the other way? I definitely think it's possible. But honestly, who knows? It could just be incompetence or lack of caring or all of it, honestly. And that brings us to August of 2021, when this case starts to kind of break wide open or when some people think that farmer's use as an informant was no longer needed. He had kind of used up all of his usefulness with the police. Now, August 2021, law enforcement speaks to someone who provides them with information about the case. Now, this information has been completely redacted in the PCA, and the information has never been announced publicly. Now, what the PCA does say is that in August of 2021, they re-interview two redacted names about the last night that Karina was seen. They confirm that their initial statement had not changed, but what was added to their statement was the comment that Flint Vincent Farmer had made about him getting lucky tonight before him and Karina left their apartment to go back to his. Gross, first of all, just fucking gross. Now, they did leave their last names in on this part of the probable cause affidavit. In my opinion, I think that was a total mistake, so I'm not going to be including their last names in this. And then the next paragraph after that is completely and entirely redacted. Now, they also confirmed they heard what sounded like a fight next door at what would be Farmer's apartment, hearing a person gasping or whimpering, and a redacted name said that they believed it was Karina being hurt. But again, they did nothing to help her. Nothing. They know this child is with this creepy 51-year-old man. He's like, yeah, I'm about to go get lucky, right? Ew. Just ew. And then they hear fighting and, you know, whimpering and gasping. And they see a body on the floor covered up. And nobody does a thing. I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. I know a lot of people just mind their business if it doesn't involve them. You know, but if you see something, say something. She might not have been dead at that point, just knocked out. I don't know. Or if she was dead, they could have avoided six years of absolute torture for her family. Anyhow, based off the information that law enforcement received during witness interviews during this month, it resulted in June 30th, 2022. Now, I don't know why it took so long, but from the August of 2021 to June 30th of 2022, but it did. And on this day, Alicia Kassler, who is a crime scene investigator from the KPD Forensic Lab, and the affiant of the PCA, who is Lieutenant Richard Benzinger, they met with a representative from CRM Properties. Now, CRM Properties is a really big property management company that used to be Source One Property Management in Kokomo, Indiana. Source One was kind of known to have a lot of like slumlord type properties. So I don't know if they sold it or if they just changed their name and tried to rebrand into something else. Both is possible, I guess. Anyhow, so Alicia and Lieutenant Benzinger, they meet the CRM representative at 1039 South Washington where Flint Vincent Farmer had lived. 
Now, luminol was used to check the detached garage for any blood evidence. Now, if you remember, someone that was redacted in the PCA had placed Karina as being by the garage that night. Now, luminol is a water-based solution capable of detecting blood that has been diluted up to 10,000 times. Once luminol comes into contact with blood, the reaction causes the blood to light up a a fluorescent blue color. Now, this is a well-established chemical. It's used by forensic investigators all the time to search for and document trace amounts of blood that you just can't see with the naked eye. Now, a positive luminol test is detected in the garage. One place indicated blood on the floor of the garage was just inside the walkthrough service door. Now, three separate additional areas reacted and samples were collected from those areas and then the samples were then sent to the Indiana State Police Lab for additional testing. Now, on July 8th of 2022, a redacted individual told investigators that she and Karina were very close. She advised that her and Karina would talk every day and they would always know where the other one was at. She also stated that her and Karina often slept in the same bed. Now, I don't know if that meant like sexually or not, or if they were just super close friends and they often just slept together in the same bed. I'm not sure. And I don't really know what the context of that was or why she would say that, unless it's just to kind of prove or reiterate that they're super close. Now, this person said that she has not received any communication from Karina since October of 2016 when she went missing, and she believes that Karina is dead. Now, based off the information provided in this probable cause affidavit, a warrant for first-degree murder was issued for Flint Vincent Farmer on July 18th of 2022 through Howard Superior Court 2, almost six years after Karina went missing. Six years. Flint Vincent Farmer, age 57, was arrested on July 18th, 2022, around 1 p.m. at a residence in the 600 block of South Purdom Street in Kokomo, Indiana. He was arrested by the Kokomo Police Department for one count of level one felony murder for the death, you know, murder of 18-year-old Karina McClurkin. He was held without bond at the Howard County Jail. Farmer is listed at six foot two, 225 pounds. So just for context, Karina was five foot four and 130 pounds. So a very unfair matchup. She didn't stand a chance against that. I also want to make a note that Farmer was also arrested in July of 2020 for theft, and he was held without bond on that charge also. So this was just yet another opportunity to have arrested him before this point. It's not like the police didn't know where he was. They didn't know where to find him. They did. And it seems like they had knowledge of everything within a month after Karina went missing. So I don't know why it took so long for them to arrest him. Nothing new really came up. The witnesses, the evidence, they had all of that in November of 2016. Why they waited so long to do the luminol, I have no idea. So I just feel like this could have been done a lot sooner and the family could have had answers way before now. So at this point, Farmer's arrested, he's charged, he's in jail, and he's awaiting his future court hearings. But the story's not over. The evening of July 18th, 2022, 
with Flint Vincent Farmer in jail. Investigators are following up on tips and evidence that leads them to a rural area of Miami County. Now, this was being looked at as a possible location for Karina's body, so a burial location. A crime scene was discovered and it was secured. Kokomo Police Department, Indiana State Police, and Miami Coroner's Office began the long and methodical processing of this crime scene that lasted all the way through to the following evening of July 19th, 2022. Now, the processing of this scene, it led to the discovery of skeletal remains, and they did appear to be human. Now, the remains were exhumed and then secured by the Miami County Coroner's Office pending autopsy. The autopsy was performed on July 22nd, 2022 at the Howard County Coroner's Office, and this was done by a forensic pathologist. The specific cause and manner have not been released, to my knowledge. The remains were, at this point, determined to be human, so they were positively identified as human remains. The Indiana State Police Laboratory was brought in to examine evidence to identify the human remains, so basically to do the DNA testing to determine a positive identification of who the remains belong to. So who did law enforcement find in that grave in rural Miami County? The morning of August 5th, 2022, Kokomo Police Department received a certificate of analysis from the Indiana State Police Laboratory. And this certificate of analysis confirmed the DNA identification of the human remains, the recovered body, as being that of missing 18-year-old Karina McClurkin. So they had found and positively identified Karina. According to the police department, immediate family were notified of the identification prior to them doing the press conference. Now, the family took direct issue with that statement. And Grandma Jerry says very bluntly, you didn't contact her father, you meaning Kokomo Police Department or Indiana State Police. And yet you stand up there and tell everybody in Kokomo that you found my granddaughter. And she was borderline yelling at this point. She was very angry. You're not right. You're wrong. We searched for that girl. Nobody else did. Y'all kissed my fucking ass. Jerry said the arrest brought little closure. She feels like the police did not do a good job investigating or working with the family. She said her granddaughter has been laying out there six years. Kokomo Police Department knew it and they did nothing about it. Jerry said the reality of Karina's death hasn't really sunk in yet. And any relief of the arrest is overshadowed by their frustration by how long it took. She says that she is glad that they found Karina and that being able to put her to rest, it does bring her closure in some sense. But she says watching her son is so difficult. Jerry said, when I see my boy, I see my son collapse. That's it. She said they are considering taking legal action against Kokomo Police Department. Now, as far as Karina's father, James, he said she was never coming home. I'm supposed to be grateful that we are getting somewhere in this case. An arrest has been made, but she was still robbed of her own time. And speaking of arrests, KPD did say in their press conference that additional arrests are expected. But as of December of 2023, no other arrests in this case have been made. As for Flint Vincent Farmer, he is still being held without bond at the Howard County Jail awaiting his trial. In October of 2022, Farmer filed a request via his attorney, Jeffrey Elfman, asking Superior Court to Judge Brant Perry to allow him to be temporarily released in order to attend his nephew's funeral. 
Now, this request was obviously formally objected to by Mark McCann, who is the prosecutor for Howard County. He objected on the grounds of Farmer being a substantial flight risk. Arranging security measures with Howard County jail staff would be burdensome. And that Farmer had the option of attending virtually via Zoom or similar video chat service. Now, Judge Perry, he denied Farmer's request to attend the funeral physically. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. If you have any information on this case, you're asked to contact Lieutenant Richard Benzinger at 765-456-7324. You can email him at rbenzinger, B-E-N-Z-I-N-G-E-R, at cityofkokomo.org. You can also contact the Kokomo Police Department hotline. That's 765-456-7017 or Central Indiana Crime Stoppers at 1-800-262-TIPS. And unfortunately, that's all I have for this case. It's definitely a frustrating one, and I will be sure to update after the trial or after some type of legal resolution is made of his case. Thank you so much for joining me today for another Solved Saturday case. Every other Saturday, I do a Solved Saturday case where I focus on a solved true crime case that has already had a legal resolution or is currently going through the judicial system or appeals process. Every other Monday, I do a Mystery Monday episode where I focus on a missing persons case or an unsolved mystery case. And the first of every month is a History's Mysteries episode. And that focuses on a true crime event from history that may or may not be solved. So be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode. Share, comment, give me a rating, all the categories. Thank you again for being here and have a great day.